If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! I just opened that door. That's all I did. Welcome to another edition of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. I'm Carol Vassar, and that was the voice of Marcy Polk. She is the Nemours Enterprise Business Director for Imaging. She's based in Orlando. And we'll talk with her a bit later on how Just Culture is opening new doors for every associate across the enterprise. And how Marcy's opening a door for just one person helped him to grow in his career. We'll also hear from Maggie Hightower about the generosity of a Jacksonville family following the devastating deaths of their three children. First up today, though, we head to the A.I. DuPont Hospital for Children to hear from Paul Brust. Paul started doing ambulance work at the age of 19, earned his undergrad and master's in nursing, burn emergency, and trauma. After years working in the adult health care and pediatric worlds, he arrived at Nemours five years ago to become the nurse manager for the critical care transport team in Wilmington. My role as a manager is basically I have 24-7 accountability and responsibility for managing a team of 80 people. We have almost 40 nurses and respiratory therapists. We have about 30 emergency medical technicians who help drive us and and take care of our equipment with us. We have seven communication specialists. Okay, no pressure there at all. So what exactly does his team do from day to day? So imagine if your child, your grandchild, your neighbor's child gets sick or injured, you take them to the local hospital. Local hospitals are usually very good except they don't have pediatric expertise. They're not comfortable putting in IVs. They're not comfortable sedating kids. The drug doses are slightly different. So what we try and do is bring the critical care experience to them. And then we transport those folks back here to Nemours for further care. What are some of the challenges you face in doing your job day to day? Oh, I, I could go into hundreds of challenges. Um, it is, it's a variety of things. Imagine a team that takes care of newborns, premature infants, teenagers, kids with oncology problems, and everything in between. And trying to deal with that is one thing. You have to have a level of knowledge in all different areas. We have to help the parents. We have to help the families through whatever they're doing. And then we have to take care of ourselves along the way. So one of the things that you do as the manager, the nurse manager for critical care transport, is talking with your teammates who maybe have been through a situation where a child has been seriously burned, seriously injured, seriously ill, and that has an emotional toll. How do you support your team when they've been through a situation like that? So that's a great question, and that's one that always um, tears at the heart of a manager or a leader, and I view myself more as a leader of a team. These are experienced professionals. They know their job. They know how to do it. When we drill and when we do our simulations, when we do our practice runs, 
we say if you do this, this, and this, it will all be better, and the patient will get better, and we hope that's what it is. And in the vast majority of the cases, that's true. But sometimes that doesn't happen. We recently, about a year ago, had a case of a young girl. Our team went down to the outside hospital to pick up this patient, and everything seemed okay. This was a sick child. We all knew this child was sick. However, there are degrees of being sick. On the ride back, this child decompensated, and her illness overtook her. And the team responded appropriately. We were near another hospital. We diverted to the other hospital. And the patient, unfortunately, had an event that resulted in her death. It was nothing our team members did wrong. It's we picked up a patient here. We were supposed to bring them back here, and we never made it. The team members were devastated. The family was devastated. The family understood. They were very kind to our team. But at the end of the day, my team was devastated. So how do I support it? One of the things I, I do, and I think a lot of people here at Morris do, is I, as the manager, heard about this. I got up out of my bed, I got dressed, and I came in. And the first thing I did was simply help them put their equipment away, get set up for the next call, and then just stay there until they want to talk and share. And then we cry together, and then we work through it. We spend days, weeks, months reviewing cases like this. And my role as a leader is to bring the experience that I've had over the years and the strategies I've learned that I've tried to help and practice and try and instill that into the team members so that when we do things well, that we, that we celebrate those. And when we don't do things well, we understand that we did our best and that sometimes illness or injury are just going to overtake us. And if there's one thing I do on my team, if there's one thing I'm proud of doing on my team, that's probably it, that I can help them through situations that they weren't aware of, that they don't know how to deal with. And hopefully they learn from that. How do you become as resilient as possible in your role and help your team to become resilient? I think it's a journey. It's a journey that started when I was 19. Um, my very first ambulance call was in a little town, and my neighbor had a cardiac arrest, and I had to do CPR on him, and it was my very first ambulance call. And this was somebody you knew? This was somebody I knew in a very small town. But you continue to come back. You look for those strategies. You look for people who can help you. I had mentors who helped me. I had family members and friends and other professionals and over time, you continue to learn from each other and support each other, and you continue that growth. And at some point, all of us transition into caregivers for the caregiver. We take care of patients, one child, one promise. That's what we do. We do our best, and that's what we do, and we continue to do that. And I think many places do that, but Nemours lives, eats, and breathes it. It's tough. It's not easy but we do it. That's what we do. Paul Brost is the nurse manager for the critical care transport team at the A.I. DuPont Hospital for Children in Wilmington. 
When it comes time to pay their hospital or medical bills, families often look to medical insurance, either commercial pay, usually through an employer, or publicly funded insurance, such as Medicaid. Or they look to pay their bills out of pocket, which can often be prohibitively expensive. There is another funding source, though, the generosity of others. Philanthropy in healthcare has a long and storied history, particularly here at Nemours. Maggie Hightower is the Director of Fund Development for Nemours Children's Specialty Care in Jacksonville, who fills us in not only on the importance of philanthropy in healthcare today, but also has the story of one family whose devastating loss inspired them to help other sick kids and their families pay for the health care their kids need. So the more things change in healthcare, the more we should revisit what has worked in the past. And about 60% of hospitals and healthcare systems across the United States have nonprofit status and can link their healthcare, their health genesis back to philanthropy and the love of humanity. And these healthcare organizations were launched on the shoulders of a religious order or a magnificent bequest or contribution from a benefactor. And Nemours was fortunate enough to be one of those systems through the generosity of Alfred I. DuPont. And Alfred I. DuPont was one of America's major turn-of-the-century philanthropists, and um, he formed the Alfred I. DuPont Trust in 1935, and it was really to be the first children's health outreach initiative of the foundation, which now has become Nemours. And so since the support of the trust, um, healthcare has changed so much in the way that we get reimbursed and with technology and all of these costs that we now have to incur. And so we really are seeing philanthropy as a key revenue source and not just a nice additive and really having to go back to the basics, which is the philanthropy and the philanthropic side of healthcare. So where do you see your role? Where does this fit into the overall mission of Nemours, which is, you know, keeping kids healthy, making sure that they are as healthy as they possibly can be? Well, one of the things at Nemours is we treat all children regardless of their ability to pay. And here in Jacksonville, about 51% of the patient population that we serve are Medicaid. And so a lot of times there's things that Medicaid or private insurance just doesn't cover, um, anything from music therapy to kids with chronic illness or Art with the Heart and Healthcare, which is a nonprofit organization that comes into our clinic and does artwork with the kids as a distraction tool. So there's many things that um, private philanthropy could step in and help fill that gap um, and really help make the best possible patient experience for the child and the family. Do you see this in action with the patients and their families? Is there a particular patient you can think of who maybe has moved you and keeps you going as you do your daily work here in Jacksonville? Within the last two years, I've come across a family, um, the Hodges family, and they had three boys, Matthew, Michael, and Hunter. And the boys shared something more than just brotherhood. Um, They all had the same rare disease known as dyskeratosis, and it's a genetic form of bone marrow failure. And all three of the boys have been treated at Nemours, um, and unfortunately, all three have now passed. And so it's a very, very horrible story, but the grandparents of the boys, Terry and Sharon Fowler, had seen the treatment that the boys received at Nemours and really credit Nemours for keeping the boys alive as long as they did. And they also witnessed some things um, when they were at the clinic with other patient families picking up their medication and their prescriptions and it being like $800 and not being able to afford it. Um, and so they 
wanted to give back. And so they made a really large gift to support Nemours here in Jacksonville. And it just shows a family that has had such tragedy, how they really wanted to turn it around and do something good for others. They're amazing. And their daughter, Lori Hodges, who was the mother of the three boys, she really attributes her strength to her faith. And they really carry that on throughout their family, through Lori, as well as through her parents, Terry and Sharon, because they said if they didn't have their faith, they don't know where they would be today. And the faith has really guided them and has helped them put things in perspective. And they know now that all three boys and their um, belief is in a better place. They're no longer struggling, but they know that there are still so many patients and families and kids here that are dealing with some of these very similar issues. And they really feel compelled to help support those families because they know that they were very financially blessed, that helped with the costs of the co-pays and the prescriptions. And often when a child gets sick, their family goes from a two-person working household to a one-person working household. And so I think Terry and Sharon really saw that and said, okay, you know, we want to do what we can to help make this as um, painless of experience as possible for some of these families. Maggie Hightower is the Director of Fund Development for the Nemours Children's Specialty Care in Jacksonville. By the way, she was recently recognized by the Jacksonville Business Journal as a 2019 Woman of Influence, an award she says is the result of hard work by her and her dream team of colleagues. Brittany Fowler, Development Assistant, Casey Schmidt, who is their Development coordinator, as well as Trish Bautista, who's also our development coordinator. And they're the ones who are really doing the hard work. And a shout out also to CMO Dr. Gary Josephson and her big boss, Dr. Michael Earnhardt. And last but not least in today's episode is Marcy Polk, Enterprise Business Director for Imaging here at Nemours. 20 years in healthcare, she came to Nemours about a year ago from Connecticut. She was intrigued by Nemours' history and the newness of the Orlando operation. She jumped over from the operations side to the revenue cycle side to come here and also took on a role co-chairing the Employee Engagement Committee, and she did that for one specific reason. It always is said if the employees aren't happy, the patients aren't happy, right? It just shows you cannot fake that. When they feel that they are respected, they're listened to, that it's a great organization, what are they going to do about it? They're going to talk about it. And then you get more great employees. So I just think it's integral to the success of an organization. Have you noticed differences between Nemours and other healthcare systems you've worked in in terms of culture and in terms of engagement? Yes and no, right? I think um, some similarities are I think everyone's on that journey to do either like we're doing the just culture. I think that Nemours is different as far as a lot of the things that they're doing with senior leadership and the rounding. Everyone seems invested. You're the first person I've heard reference just culture. Can you talk a little bit about what that is? So just culture is really trying to change the entire culture to where we are first stepping back and saying, did they have the tools to be successful or did we set them up for failure, right? There was an example. These pilots had to do this plane, and it was a 315-page manual, right? Do you really think they read the 315-page manual? So what did they do? They were under time constraints. They made shortcuts, which caused a huge, this was before 9-11, um, airplane crash. So what do we do in healthcare? 
here's the 50, 100 policies, sign off that you read them. Uh, We teach, we orient, but are we really reading 100 policies through and through? So I think that we need to relook at things and make sure that our processes are in place so everyone can be successful and understand there is human error. How do you expect this to roll out? Um, I think, A, we have to realize that it's a journey. It's going to take a lot of time. It's not overnight. We need to be what? Consistent. Why do things fail? Because you it's kind of the flavor of the month, right? It's not consistent. And you need to embed it in your culture. So the goal is now to bring more people to the table and start talking about it. And it needs to become common language where we're talking about it. If we can get everyone where they feel comfortable speaking up, reporting things, right, high reliability organization, it all is tied in to a just culture. If you feel comfortable speaking out, if you see something that makes you more successful and ultimately caring for our patients. And not having that punitive result when you do speak up. Right, right. Aside from employee engagement surveys, How do you identify an engaged associate? What are some signs? They are not only coming to you with problems, but solutions. Um, They're a part of the end goal. You know, they're coming to the table and um, they're trying to help make things successful. Being present, right? Being in that moment um, and being responsible and accountable for yourself, right? If you stayed out all night partying, You come in the morning with a fresh face on and ready to work, and that was your choice. You made that choice, right? So I think an engaged employee is someone who is wanting not only to join things, but to be involved, and um, ultimately, why are we all here? We're here for the patients. What's your favorite part of the work you do? You seem very engaged yourself. (laughs) You know, people say, why did I get into leadership? I started as a technologist. I am clinical. I say it's definitely not the stress and the work hours. I want to find that perfect place where um, everyone is caring for everyone, whether it be associate or patient or whomever, and you can make a difference. And I say kind of when I leave an organization, what legacy did I leave, right? What did I do to help? Um, And I going to reference this one thing that always comes to mind, what gives me that warmness in my heart is we ha- I had an associate at my last organization. Um, I had met with all my employees, all 220 employees, took me like four or five months. And people say, why did you do that? And I said, because I wanted to sit down with each employee and look them in the face and say, what are your expectations of me as a new leader coming in and what my expectations are? And I met this one person and I said to them, what do you do? Like a very smart individual. And he's like, oh, I'm a MRI tech aide. And I'm like, this guy is way too smart to be a tech aide. Well, anyway, as the journey went, um, very long story short, is he got in, what is engagement, right? He volunteered to help with a project we were doing on his own time. Came to me with all these pie charts and Pareto charts. I'm like, who are you? Like, who is this person, right? We put him into a new role. And the end of his journey was he actually was our PACS person, no PACS experience, and then supported him to go to IT for PACS. And to this day, he thanks me, actually came down to visit. And I said, it wasn't me. I said, I opened a door, you walk through it. 
I didn't really do anything, but it warms my heart that I was a part of someone's growth opportunity, you know, but he did it for himself. I just opened that door. That's all I did. Marcy Polk is the Enterprise Business Director for Imaging based in Orlando. Many thanks to Marcy, along with Maggie Hightower and Peter Brust for sharing their stories as part of this podcast. You have the opportunity to do the same. Reach out to us at podcast at to let us know what's happening in your corner of Nemours. Feel free to leave us your feedback as well at the same address, podcast at Production assistance for the podcast is provided by Peter Adebi, Deborah Griffin, J.L. Puckett, and Jackie Williams. Music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Fall River, Massachusetts. And today's words of wisdom come from Peter Brust. Don't hold things in. Talk to someone. Work through it. Let us help you. Till next time, I'm Carol Vassar. Thanks for joining us for the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. 